Well, uh, good morning, everyone. My name is Paul, and it'd be great if you want to keep that part of the Bible open now. We're going to be looking at that. Uh, hopefully, you've had a chance to even read through the story of Ruth during this week. If you haven't, let me encourage you still to sit down at some point, read through it all. Uh, but how about I pray uh, for God's help as we come to the part of the Bible now. So please join me as I pray. Thank you, Father, for your word given to us in the Bible. Please be at work in our hearts, our minds, and our ears now to to receive it and go away transformed. Father, give us comfort and give us refreshment as we come to hear you speak now. Amen. Well, what keeps you safe? I'm a, I'm a parent, and so I'm the one who keeps my two daughters safe. Uh, but before I was a parent, I don't think I realised how many dangerous things there are around, like in any space you go into. But these days, whenever I go into a space, I scan the air and I'm like, man, this is fraught with danger for my kids. Uh, Thea, she turned one yesterday. She's the kind of kid who goes into any space and she's off. She'll see something from across the room. She'll want to go and grab it and put it in her mouth. She's the one in our house who opens the cupboards and pulls down all the crockery, the books off the bookshelf. She's that kind of kid. A few weeks ago, we were at the zoo, and we were in the, in the cafe just having a drink. Not the best coffee, but we were there just relaxing. And uh, I put Thea down on the ground, and before I know it, she's off. And she's just, like I catch out of the corner of my eye, she's got her hand, she's picked up this chip, like one of those brown, yucky, old hard chips. Who knows how long it's been sitting there. She's putting it into her mouth and I quickly grab it, I keep her safe. Uh, Thea, one of her favourite places in our house is the bathroom. And the other day, uh, Mel caught her in the, in the toilet area, climbing up onto the toilet bowl. Mel quickly grabbed her, she was safe. These days we keep that room shut. This is, this is my life as a parent. Uh, it's all about keeping my daughters safe. But it's, it's not just children, is it, who like to feel safe. We all want to feel safe, secure, protected, don't we? Uh, but my question is for you, what is it that keeps you safe? Is it in the arms of a, a loved one or a spouse who holds you close and you feel protected and safe? Is it in your friendships, those people who you know, they've got your back, no matter what happens? Is it uh, maybe even solitude? You feel safe when you're alone at home, just quietly reading a book, you feel safe from, you know, free from judgment and criticism? Is it, is it your finances? Is it that you've worked hard? You know, you've saved well, and so that no matter what happens, you'll be okay. You can rest in that security. Or maybe it's in your physicality and your health. You know, you keep yourself well, you train hard, so that no matter what it comes your way, you're strong enough to withstand it. My question is, what happens when all those things are stripped away? When those things that you think keep you safe are stripped away. When your health is stripped away. When you're out of a job. When there's a relationship breakdown. What keeps you safe in those moments of life? When you hit rock bottom and there's uncertainty. When you face pain and grief. What keeps you safe in those times? That's the the question that we're we're asking at the end of chapter 1 for Ruth. What is it that keeps her safe? What is it it that she's going to run to for safety? And that's what chapter 2 helps us answer today. If you're here last week, we we looked at chapter 1. And if you remember, we we were introduced to a family, Elimelech, Naomi, their two sons, a part of God's people in Bethlehem. But a famine hit the land, so they, 
they decided we're going to abandon God's place and we're going to go to Moab. But they couldn't run away from hard times, could they? Elimelech and both their sons died. And Naomi hears in Moab that God has uh, broken the famine and provided for his people in Bethlehem. So she returns. But she's not the same woman that left. She's broken, she's bitter, and she's empty. But last week we also saw that God was at work, even in the midst of this, as Naomi wasn't fully alone. Ruth joined her. One of her daughters-in-law came back with her. But also, if you remember the end of last week, end of chapter 1, it was the, there was a hint, a glimmer of hope, as it was the start of the barley harvest. But for Ruth, she's left her people, her family, the land she's grown up in. She has no husband. How is it going to fare for her being in Bethlehem? What is going to keep her safe in this new place? Well, that's where we dive into the story for today. And so we're going to kind of just walk through different chunks of the story like we did last week. And in the the first three verses, we're going to see Ruth takes initiative to set off and she sets off to work. But in the the first verse of chapter 2, it's kind of like a transitionary verse as the narrator peels back the curtain for us. We don't dive straight into the narrative. He peels back the curtain and says, I want to introduce you to a character you haven't met yet. Have a look there with me. Uh, verse 1, it says, Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. The narrator introduces us to Boaz here, a guy who will come up in the story a little bit later on this morning. Uh, but he's telling us some info here, some stuff that we want to store away. And did you see what it is? The, the narrator repeats it twice. There. He says, this guy Boaz is from the family of Elimelech. He's from the clan of Elimelech. Uh, and this idea of clans is quite foreign to us these days, but it's actually still captured very much in Scottish society. Uh, in Scotland, uh, clans, you know, it's made up of clans, and uh, the clans are about groups of people, families, uh, who are loyal to a particular area, a particular chief, kind of like tribes. You can see how it relates even to the tribes of Israel here. Uh, and here at Sea on a Hill, we have a member of the Scottish McKeever clan, a clan, I did some research, a clan which goes back to the year of 1222 and has hundreds and hundreds of families in it. And being part of a clan has wrapped up in it the idea uh, of protection and care for who else is in your clan in a time of need. And so this guy Boaz is, you know, from the clan of Elimelech. You know, and you, surely you've got to start to wonder, actually, the narrator's telling us this straight off the bat, it's behind the scenes, you know, is this, is this going to be a good, good thing for Naomi and Ruth? But we also learn here that Boaz is not just from the clan, it also says he's a man of standing, he's a worthy man, this is a good man, a man with a good reputation. But this is, you know, like a behind the scenes look at Boaz, as the story focuses in on Ruth now and how she sets off to work. Ruth, in verse 2, she realises the predicament she's in. She realises she's a widow in a foreign land. She has no protection, no one to provide for her. And so she says to Naomi, I'm going to go off and work. Let me go to the fields and glean. But for, for Ruth, this idea of going off and working in the fields, is, this is a risky, dangerous offer. Ruth is a woman. She's a foreigner. She knows no one. This, this request is fraught with danger. She could be taken advantage of. She could be abused physically, sexually. 
She might not even return home, let alone return home with something to eat. But Naomi, she's, you know, I think still very much caught in her brokenness and bitter state. She's like, you know, rocking in the fetal position at this request. And she just says, go. So Ruth heads out to the field to glean. Now, gleaning was like the equivalent of social welfare in those days. Gleaning was a system set out in God's law. Um, Have a look at Deuteronomy 24 with me. This is written to God's people of how they were to conduct themselves. It says, When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. You see, the harvesters of God's people would go through the land and anything that would fall to the ground, the scraps, they would leave. Leave for the vulnerable. And did you see who these people are who would receive this welfare? It says the foreigner, the fatherless, the widow. This is Ruth. She ticks every box for this welfare. And, so, and she knows this. She heads out onto the field to glean. And our hearts at this moment in the story, we should, should be in our mouths. We're wondering, is it going to go well for her? Is she going to be safe? Ruth is on the field. And then who should turn up? Boaz. This is the next little scene of our story from verses 4 to 16. Boaz turns up. And so uh, as it turns out, where does Ruth uh, end up? Which field does she end up on? Where is she gleaning? It's Boaz's field. You have to understand the fields in these days weren't marked with, you know, this is Boaz's field or there's fences. The field was just a big open area where everyone would just have different sections of it. So Ruth just happens to turn up on Boaz's field. And then who turns up as Ruth is gleaning in the field? We read in verse 4, don't we? Have a look there with me. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. He says, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Here we learn a little bit more about Boaz, don't we? What kind of guy he is. This guy isn't just a, a worthy, a good man. He's a godly man. This greeting is actually something, you know, uh, spoken of in Numbers and how uh, the, the church services and the people would uh, praise God in the day. This is like taken from that. Boaz is conducting his business in a godly manner. But, you know, you can imagine it. Boaz is there. He's looking at the half. It's all going well. Looking at the bundles being gathered in. And then he notices Ruth. And he turns to his works and says, whose family does she belong to? Whose young lady is that? So even for Boaz, he's thinking about whose family is she a part of? Which clan is she a part of? But his workers, they just, you know, straight out say, she's, she's just a Moabite. She's a foreigner. She's a nobody. In, in my family, I have an older sister. Uh, and I remember so often in primary school, often when I was getting in trouble with teachers, uh, they'd say, oh, you're Paul Schumach. You're, are, you, are you Amy Schumach's brother? And I'd say, yep, that's me. And they, they were often implying, oh, wow, you're not really like your sister, are you? Like, they were looking, they had a point of reference for me, and they were looking for this family likeness. They, they thought they knew me because they knew my sister. But for Ruth here, what's her point of reference in Bethlehem? She's just a foreigner. She's a Moabite. She's a nobody. So maybe actually in Boaz's field, it's not going to be safer. But Boaz, as we've already said, this is a, a worthy man, a good man, a godly man, unlike his workers, sees an opportunity. Rather than just walking on by, he says in verse 8, have a look there. 
he says to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work with me. He goes on to say, I've told my men not to touch you. And he says, there's water over there that's already been drawn. Go over and help yourself to it anytime you want. Boaz goes above and beyond for Ruth here. He treats her with an unmerited kindness. You see, Boaz is going beyond what is expected of him. To, to just let her pick up the scraps was what was expected. But Boaz is a man of God who wants to show kindness to her. He, wants to, he provides protection for her. He says, stay in my field. You will be kept safe here. I've told my men not to touch you. He provides provision for her. He says, help yourself to the water whenever you want. And he even elevates her status. Not once does Boaz call Ruth a Moabite. And what has Ruth done to deserve this kindness of Boaz? Absolutely nothing. But that's not all. At the end of the day, Boaz can't help himself. In, in verses 14 to 16, Boaz calls Ruth in to enjoy a meal with his workers. He calls Ruth in and says, sit at my table. Enjoy the wine and the vinegar and the, the roasted grain. And at the end of the meal, there's leftover. See, Boaz wants Ruth to go away full. But Ruth, you know, she's a, she's a, she's a hard worker. She doesn't just sit back and enjoy this meal. At the end of the day, she gets up to continue to go gleaning, to, to provide for Naomi. And then once again, in verse 16, have a look there. Boaz says to his workers, he says, even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. Once again, Boaz goes beyond what's expected. He, he says to his workers, pull out more and just leave them for her, not just the scraps. I wonder, have you experienced anything like this? Like this abundant, lavish kindness? I remember a few years ago when Mel and I were on holidays, we were staying at this little farm stay cottage, and uh, every night the owners would provide this four-course meal for us. Uh, we'd go in after you know a busy day of holid holidaying around, and we'd sit there in front of the fireplace. The owner would come in, pop open a, a bottle of fresh wine that they'd made from their vineyard, and uh, then the food would just come out. There was, you know, there was bread, there was passes, there was lasagnas, there was meat, there was cheese, there was honey. It was lavish. It was over the top. I remember so often, you know, that experience when you've eaten so much, but you just want to keep eating. You pop the, the button on your pants. That was me pretty much every night. Um, but this, this kindness from the owners wasn't unmerited. Because Mel and I were actually paying to stay there, weren't we? But for Ruth... Boaz's kindness is completely unmerited. And the, the question we should be asking is, why? She brings nothing to the table. There's no reason at all that he should be showing this kindness to her. And this is exactly the question Ruth asks. Have a look at verse 10. She says to Boaz, she says, Why have I found such favour in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? For some of us reading the story of Ruth, we might have a Disney princess maybe storyline running along in our head, thinking, you know, the reason, you know, Boaz is showing this kindness to her is because, you know, she's probably attractive, she's young, he's got other intentions. But there's nothing in the story to give us that impression. The only thing we know about Ruth is that she's a Moabite, that she's a widow, and that she's on welfare. That's all we know. There's no reason for him to be showing this kindness. But he tells us in verse 11, have a look there with me. 
He says, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know. Boaz recognizes the kindness Ruth showed to Naomi. And he goes on to say the reason he has shown this kindness. He goes on in verse 12. He says, May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz is saying the reason for his kindness to her is because she has come to God to take refuge. She has come and taken refuge under the wings of God. She has come to God for her safety. Ruth demonstrated this by leaving everything behind. And the reward, Boaz says, for seeking refuge with God is to enjoy the provision of God, the abundant, lavish kindness of God provided by a man of God like Boaz. And this this provision is abundant. At the end of the day, we read in verse 17, Ruth is glean and she gathers it all up and she takes home an ephah of grain. Ruth would have just been happy to have something for the meal that night. But an ephah, you know, it tells us even in our footnote that it's roughly about 13, 14, 15 kilograms of grain. You know, I don't even know how she would carry that much home. I probably couldn't even carry that much home myself. Where does Ruth run to for safety in this uncertain time for her? Well, she runs to the refuge under the wings of God. And he provided abundantly for her. But that's, that's not the end of the story. Ruth heads home, and in verse 17 to 23, there's more good news. Ruth, you know, walks into town, and, and Naomi notices her. And Naomi's in shock. You know, she sees Ruth carrying this much grain, and the questions just fly. In verse 19, she goes, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. You know, this is very stark contrast to the beginning of chapter 2 where Ruth just says, go. Oh, Naomi just says, go. Ruth says to Naomi, I've, I was working in a guy named Boaz's field, a name which really doesn't mean much to Ruth. But Naomi knows him. And she responds in verse 20, even more over the top. She says, the Lord bless him. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. Naomi realizes in that moment that God hasn't forsaken her. Naomi sees the kindness of Boaz and attributes it to God. It's God's doing. But Naomi tells us more here about Boaz in verse 20. Naomi tells us that Boaz isn't just a a close relative of theirs. He's one of their kinsmen redeemers. And the, the kinsman redeemer is the person who can redeem and preserve the family name of Elimelech. This is part of the clan structure. The kinsman redeemer was the person who could redeem and carry on the family name, who could carry on the family rights to the land by marrying the widow. Boaz is this guy. He's the one who can can provide a longer-term security and hope. But like any good story, end of chapter 2, we're left with a cliffhanger. Because at the end of chapter 2, Ruth is just still receiving welfare and we're left wondering, what's going to happen with Boaz? And we'll have to, you know, come back next week. Come back next week and and see what happens in chapter 3 and chapter 4. But what what do we learn from this chapter? 
Well, I think there's a couple of things we can learn. And the first one is, in the hard and uncertain times of life, safety is found under the wings of God. The image of God in this chapter is, is like something from a David Attenborough film. The image of an eagle sitting on their nest with the chicks nestled underneath. They're warm, they're safe, they're protected. And for Ruth and for us, seeking refuge under the wings of God is the safest place possible. For Ruth, she left it all behind. But what kept her safe in this risky and dangerous situation? We might think it was Boaz, but no, it was God. He was at work. He was the one perfectly orchestrating everything that happened. We see it in the timing, the perfect timing for Ruth to find herself on Boaz's field. We see it in how God provided abundantly through the kindness of Boaz. We see through this chapter, at the very heart of God, is a God who is kind and a gracious provider. And he is always at work to keep anyone safe who takes refuge under his wings. This is how God works time and time again throughout the Bible. In the Old Testament, Israel would rebel time and time again, and God would always be at work to bring them back to himself, to find safety and refuge with him. And for us, we have a fuller understanding of God's kindness and provision. We have refuge in the safest place ever, and that is in the person of Jesus. This is how God worked to bring us back to himself, to give us the safest place possible. Because in Jesus' death on the cross and him rising again, he provided safety, yes now, but forever. A refuge that cannot be stripped away. In him we have refuge from guilt, from condemnation, from judgment. Jesus says, if you love and trust me, you are safe. He says, you're accepted by me, you're loved by me, and that is secure. And in Jesus' death on the cross, we see God's unmerited kindness to us. Because why did Jesus die for us? Was it because of something we did? Did we deserve it? No. It's because of who God is. He's a gracious and generous provider who, who showers his kindness on us in Jesus. And if, if we fully grasp this, the weight of God's kindness and his provision to us, then I think the second thing we learn from this chapter is, as being a part of God's people, we are to show this kindness and lavish provision to others. We saw this in Boaz, didn't we? He shone of the kindness and provision of God to Ruth. Boaz had the same heart as God. Boaz wasn't thinking, you know, about his productivity thinking, oh man, you know, uh, I need to take this much grain home. He wasn't thinking about that when he gave away all that grain to Ruth. He wasn't thinking about his reputation and how it would look to the others who were going, man, he's given a lot of grain away to a foreigner. Boaz rested in the wings of God. So he felt safe, he felt secure because he was loved and accepted by God to show this abundant kindness. The question for us is, do we have that same heart as God? A heart that wants to show his kindness and lavish provision to those around us. What might it look like to have that heart? Well, I think the, the first step is to notice others. Notice the needs of those around us. That's the question Ruth and Naomi both asked. Ruth said to Boaz, why did you notice me? 
And Naomi said, who took notice of you? So I wonder, how are you going at noticing others? Do you notice when your friend looks tired? Do you notice when there's a person alone, even during morning tea at church? Do you notice when your colleague hasn't showed up to work the last few days? Do you notice when a new family moves onto your street? And after you've noticed, are you ready to act? Are you ready to show kindness to them? Let me tell you a story of a family I know that has sought to to show this kindness and and provision of God to those around them in their life. This family is the the Jones family. Uh, They're a family of five. There's a mum, dad, and they've got three teenage boys. And this family loves and trusts Jesus. And they've been resting in him as their refuge for many years now. And a a few years ago, Brendan and Sally, uh, the parents, both uh, realised and noticed how many immigrant and refugee families God had brought into their life who were living in their midst. Uh, Their friends of them were from a whole range of different countries, but they were foreigners in Sydney. Uh, Both Brennan and Sally were struck by how hard life was for their friends. Hard for their friends to find jobs, hard for their friends to get their kids to school, hard for their friends just to be even taken advantage of in meetings because they didn't know the language. Uh, So this led uh, Brendan and Sally to think, actually, how can we show God's kindness to them? Brendan uh, started working part-time uh, so he could drive his friends' kids to school, so he could go with his friends to meetings and so they wouldn't take advantage of because they didn't speak their language. It meant they bought a bigger car to do all this transporting around. They spoke to their church family and said, hey, how can we set up a roster for tutoring and meals and different things to provide for this family in need? Brendan and Sally are a huge encouragement to me to notice others and to be bold and lavish in the kindness of God. They also challenged me because, you know, I think I'm being kind and lavish when I just invite someone over for a meal. But actually, you know, the picture here we have of, of Boaz and Ruth is he's showing this lavish kindness to someone who, you know, is a foreigner, an outcast, the vulnerable. They challenged me to be thinking about how I can be noticing others and showing the kindness of God. Because that, that is how God has treated us. So let me pray that we can live out this this kindness of God in our lives. Father, we thank you for your kindness to us in Jesus. That you didn't spare your own son, but gave him up for us. Father, help us to grasp your lavish kindness to us and may that drive us to want to show that to others. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen.